0: Want to ensure your app developers can create secure and smooth login experiences for your customers? With Curity, you can protect user identities, secure apps and websites, and manage API access. Find out more at Curity.io.
1: Good day, folks. This is Shane Hasty for the InfoQ Engineering Culture Podcast. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with Ashay Saxena and Ignacio Nshausti. Did I get that right, Ignacio? Perfect. And you've both been principal contributors to the recently released Business Agility Institute report, Reimagining Agility with Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. Tough
2: topic. Why did you even want to go down that path? We found it interesting, Shane. The simple premise, I mean, the world that we live in, going to what all of us have experienced over the last year or so, just the fact that the voices are increasing around diversity, equity, inclusion. And in fact, you know, I mean, we recently completed one year of the George Floyd incident in America, where there was so much conversation around, you know, I mean, what happened there? Was it right? Obviously, it shouldn't have happened. So there was just so much commentary around that. So this entire notion of, you know, I mean, bringing every people together, especially at an organization level is starting to pick pace. And what we try to do in this research, we are trying to combine it with a very old phenomenon of agility. And well, I call it very old since it's been more than two decades now, we're talking about it. And then we try to see whether there's correlation, do they go hand in hand? Or what can be done so that we enable a better future?
1: So I'm going to take the stance of an agilist who's been around for most of that 20 years and say, but surely agility, the whole set of principles and the values about individuals and interactions, wasn't agility automatically more
0: inclusive? That's a good question, Shane. Perversely, it wasn't. And That was one of the key findings in research, that the assumption was made that because individuals contributing would be empowered to add their voice, add their thinking, their input, collaborate, it was assumed that everybody would respond in that fashion. And clearly, not everybody fits that mold. So we're all unique individuals. And I guess agility has been brought to account to respect and discover and understand the variability of a group, and organization, so that they can get the best outcome, I would say, from their Agile implementations.
2: There is evidence from our report. I mean, what you asked, Shane, is obviously the first thing that comes to mind. But if I were to go with our research findings, what we found was there were 17% of the individuals who participated in our research witnessed exclusion and inequity inside Agile organizations. And there were 26% of participants who believed Agile itself actively creates exclusion and inequity in the ways of working, the way practices have been defined. So these are pretty high percentages. I mean, if Agile in itself was doing things the right way, then these percentages should have been far lesser.
1: What are some of the ways that the Agile practices create this exclusion?
2: just the way some of the practices are defined, I would say, but I'll get more specific into some of the practices. For example, there's this notion of daily standup. The way the practice was written, the idea was that the entire team comes together, they, they're pretty much standing next to each other, giving updates in terms of what is being done. But are we doing justice to the fact that individuals are different? What if somebody is not comfortable, just literally standing up and speaking to the team members? That's one point. The other practice I want to talk about is, say, something like a retrospective. Retrospective is an integral part of being a child. And that is where you have this notion where what if someone is an introvert versus an extrovert? Are the voices of introverts being heard equally as they are for an extrovert? That's another example I have. But again, if I were to generalize at a broad level, Agile to me is a very visual way of working, the way it has been crafted. And you have your story walls where you have your post-it notes moving from one state to another, or you have your virtual boards where everything is very transparent, visible, and how things are moving. Now, is that something that makes everyone comfortable in a given team? Or are there people who feel that, hey, you know, I'm not okay just being out there, you know, being so visible, transparent to how things are progressing?
0: I can't top what we've heard from Ashe, except to say that as a result of those things, there was evidence of continuing biases and microaggressions, which were created as a result of what Ashe said. These assumptions that the way the practices were formulated and the tools that they used, it was universal and everybody would instantly be comfortable with it, warm to it be involved and engaged. And there were instances where clearly that was not the case. As researchers, what were the things that surprised you? The fact that these assumptions were so hidden, well, so well hidden until they were not, and they were discovered. Agility, this all-powerful all-encompassing energy and life force, which is evangelized through technical teams and technology organizations as being the knight in shining armor that would increase speed to market, raise customer responsiveness and stickiness. All of a sudden, you see that, well, that's a bit of a glossy overlay. You really don't know what's happening underneath. The sense of inequity, the sense of being marginalized when you are trying to participate in something that's goodness and richness so there's that dissonance that was quite confronting i would say
2: and i mean just to add to that for me it was also the perception that some participants or organizations had regarding what is diversity equity and inclusion i mean still we found that the understanding is at a nascent stage where diversity means male or female or a certain section of the communities that we're talking about. Whereas obviously diversity is much more than that. I mean, it could be something as intricate as introverts versus extroverts. That is also one way of classifying diverse people. So that understanding has to go deeper. When we use these terms, we still try and make it very much black or white, but there are many more layers to it that organizations need to understand to fully embrace it
1: in their workplaces. So can we maybe delve into the three elements there? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. You deliberately pulled them apart in the research. So what do we mean by diversity? You've touched on that. Is there something we can go a
2: bit deeper? So for us, the working definition for this research was diversity is pretty much the mix. We are referring to all the people differences amongst us. We are trying to welcome all the differences that exist amongst us. That is what diversity means. Inclusion is the act of welcoming all people. So inclusion is more an action where we say that it's more an act where we are welcoming all the people that are part of the community. And equity is very interesting. Equity is where we say that all people have equal access to opportunities and fair treatment. So this is not about saying that every individual has the same resources. It's a bit different than that, because, again, when we say everyone has the same resources, we are trying to neutralize that everyone is okay working with the similar resources here. What we are seeing is maybe some individuals need more resources. They need that extra delta to be on the level field as someone else. That is what equity is, where whatever resources whatever tools whatever processes we envisage for the people that enables them to have equal access to opportunities and they get fair treatment
0: yeah it's it's interesting that as you say shane we prize them all apart but when you look at it it's really they are all interconnected and interdependent it's like a three way yin and yang they all circle around each other it's a virtuous circle when you get that right the mix the diversity the Inclusivity, which is, okay, warming and including everybody, but the equity, as Zashe said, is not only does everybody have resources, but we make sure that the resources are assessed as on a needs basis and so that nobody gets felt left out and they hum together.
1: There's the really lovely image in there of the three people watching a sports event showing the difference between equality and equity that comes from the Interaction Institute for Social Change. We'll make sure that that image, in fact, is included in the show notes, because it shows, that's got a lovely depiction of one person standing on one box, another one standing on two, and that way they can all see what's happening in the sports field. Yeah, it's a lovely example of picture paints a thousand words. You can instantly get it I do want to go into why should we care? If I'm a technologist, our audience here is the technical teams and technical influencers.
0: I want to build software. Why should I care? And I'm being a little bit devil's advocacy here. No, that's good because on the premise that you want to build software, the assumption is that you want to build great products. You want to build products that will be used by all of your target clientele your target market all of it and so caring represents understanding what that all is composed of because if you didn't care then you'd miss opportunities
2: in fact i'll take that line of thought forward as ignacio said i mean when we are writing software i mean we are eventually trying to build products for our client or for the end users and when i say client end users we are talking about some individuals there right and the moment we get to that level As the organization, as teams building software, they need to understand these end users better. It's only then can they involve those features or those elements into their designing. And that is the correlation that we found through our research as well, where the teams or organizations that were embracing DEI, they were far better at understanding the diverse needs of their customer and eventually serve them better. Again, there are a lot of examples that we can talk about. One of the examples that we had was while a payroll system was being designed and the gender section had a binary male or female as input. But then one member of the team that was designing it said, hey, why do we have it as binary? We might as well make it non-binary, that'll be a better proposition for the client. And the client loved it. They said that, hey, yeah, I mean, that's a feature that, you know, a lot of us, once we got it, we felt that, yeah, this is the right thing to do. So That's just one example. And similarly, we had other examples as well, where clearly what we saw teams organizations that were being more inclusive, that were trying to be diverse in within their community, they were able to better serve their clients or better meet the needs of their end users.
0: To add to what Ashez said, it's about being able to walk in somebody else's shoes. Quite clearly, if you want to demonstrate that you understand and comprehend the needs, the restraints, the interests of the end user, it's like you're showing empathy. You're being empathetic. And empathy is enhanced when you consider DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion.
2: In fact, I recently read a book. Again, it's a fantastic book. This is called Invisible Woman, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And it talks about how some of the data decisions are driven by how men think about the world that we have been inhabited. And I think that was very startling for me in the sense that some of the decisions are driven purely by how men think. For example, in Canada, where there's so much of snowfall, uh, a genuine question was asked around where should we mop up the snow first? Should it be on the main roads or should it be on the pathways or uh, where people are trying to walk? And guess what? The decision was we should mop them up first on the road so that people can drive cars. But that is a biased decision, purely looking at how men think about the world because they want to drive cars, drop the kids to school or go to office for work. But probably the other side of the coin was where women felt that, hey, mopping up the pathways should have been done first. Since we get to walk to a nearby store to buy groceries or to go to our neighbors to meet our friends, or it could be as simple as dropping our kids to school. We can just take them by a simple walk or a ride on a bicycle and then we can ride them back. These are some of the biases that the book talks about. But yeah, that's just one way of looking at it.
1: What are some of the other hidden biases that came out in the report that we do need
0: to bring forward and to be conscious of to address them? Apart from the gender bias, which Ashe has highlighted, there was also an educational culture bias that was quite evident in some of the responses. As you've probably seen, the report covers quite a diverse global reach. So we had a good opportunity to probe into different cultures. So culture bias was pretty prevalent. I think you know, education was another bias that was in full view.
2: The other thing I would like to add to that is, again, a very intrinsic element of introverts versus extroverts. I mean, there were people who said that, look, agile is very on the spot and who can talk I mean, it caters to people, you know, I mean, who can value this time box meetings, go with the agenda and give their inputs, serving the purpose of all the meetings. But there are obviously a section of people who need some time to process information. They're probably not that quick on their feet to provide an idea in this part of the moment. So there were individuals who said, hey, look, you know what I mean? I needed some time to process information. Just because I couldn't give my input during the meeting or I couldn't process all of it at once, I felt that, hey, look, I was being a bit left out or I was feel, I felt that, you know, I'm not able to contribute well. But, hey, that doesn't mean I never had good ideas. If you give me some time, I can process everything. I can maybe give better ideas than what was discussed on the table.
1: One of the chapter headings in the report is... Conscious and deliberate action. What are the conscious and deliberate actions that we should be taking as team members, as technical influencers, as team leaders? What
0: should we, what can we do? Well, as team leaders and technical contributors, we need to take time on a regular basis, consider our team, consider our team members, our fellow contributors, perhaps have a ritual where At a regular point where we sit and consider each other, I guess it's the act of considering others that opens the door to better understanding and minimizing the risk of marginalizing others.
2: Just to add to that, when we talk about being technical contributors, while we are developing software, it's very important we welcome all the diverse perspectives from the team members. Again, I mean, be open to discussions, be welcome to any changes that others suggest and try and let all of that be present on the table. So the right decision, the best decision can be taken. That's very, very critical. That's one of the things we want to add.
0: Yeah. And on top of what Ashe just said, I guess fundamental of that is trying to build and establish a sense of psychological safety and trust, because that's where we feel most comfortable in, as Ashe said, making sure that everybody can be heard. Nobody is afraid to say something. Everybody understands that their views will be heard, will not be judged, maybe debated and challenged, but in a sense of professional manner. You know, I think that's important too.
2: And I think, I mean, the way I look at it, I'll have to take it a level higher as well. Because for this to be enabled, we need agile leaders and coaches to become proficient in DE&I. That's very, very critical. Because unless until we have leaders and agile coaches who can walk the talk, it will be very difficult to percolate this within organizations, within teams. So again, we definitely require leaders and more importantly, agile coaches who are proficient in DE&I who can understand the diverse perspective that teams bring to the table and then coach them accordingly. That is going to have a significant impact on how teams function, how teams value these elements. And yeah, I think that's going to be very, very critical for organizations.
0: Yeah, and one thing that occurred to me from what I can recollect is leadership has to be present. Leadership has to be continuous and consistent because when that fails or when that falters, that will send the wrong signal. So if Agile concepts, Agile frameworks, the implementation of Agile is to be more successful in DE&I, the de constructs, leadership has to mandate that organization adopts that sense of recognition and the things that, that Asha said before about continually making sure that we don't stray from the path, that we understand, we develop empathy, we develop trust. Yeah, that's critical, a sense of constant leadership and reminder from the top.
2: So again, uh, Shane, you know, just to summarize this particular uh, response, I look at all of this as a very intricate web again, it all starts with the leadership. And that's where the business strategy is defined as well. If leaders business strategy can inculcate elements of DEI, it is going to percolate all the way to the systems that are being designed within an organization, the policies, the processes that are being defined within organizations to align with that. Once that happens, that is when people will have better opportunities and people will be able to grow and learn together and embrace the E and I. And obviously, when that happens, the outcome of this is going to be the business results, the innovation that you're going to see on the table. And that is going to lead to more satisfied customers, better products coming out. So for me, this is like an entire chain that we are talking about, starting with the leaders, coaches, flowing to the way systems have been designed and then going to the people who are part of teams and organizations, embracing it as well. That's going to be the entire block.
1: So, gentlemen, what piece of advice would you give? And perhaps I want to also stop there. We are three gentlemen. I see from the list of authors that the group who undertook the research is much more diverse than the three of us. The two of you were the two who were available when I came to asking about getting somebody on there. But I would like to acknowledge that this has been produced by a very diverse group of people. Do you want to tell us a
0: little bit about that group? I came late to this, but I'll provide what I know, and Asha, perhaps you can elaborate. I understand that this piece of research work was instigated by Mike Green, who, if I may say, has a visual impediment and he recognized that as a result of that, there were gaps in his interactions or perhaps the recognition from others in the professional field. And so I think that's where this report came from, you know, the lack of recognition by others, which led to this notion of, is it homogeneous Oh, does it need to be diverse? And then the inclusivity and then the equity. So that was the beginning. And along the way, there was a collection of what I believe are practitioners, agile practitioners. And I think that's where it started. Maybe Ashe. You're going probably add a little bit more depth yep. and dimension that I can.
2: I'll continue from where Ignacio left. We were a very diverse group, not just from a gender perspective. We were a good mix of male and female, but we were also very culturally diverse, the group that we're talking about. So we had participants from Australia. As Ignacio said, we had Mark Green. He's the man from where the idea originated. And then we had Diana. We had Ignacio himself. We had Isabel. They're all based in Australia, giving us the perspective from that region. Then it had myself, Rakesh were based here in India, and we come from a completely different culture. And then we had participants from the European land as well. We had Yasmin, who's based out of Spain, giving us the European flavor. And plus we had participants from other part of APAC region and Africa as well. So that whenever we got together as a group, it was a lot of diverse perspective coming through. What this enabled us also was... It increased our reach. The organizations, the participants that we spoke to, they were very well spread out. So we spoke to organizations across 20 plus countries. And the reason we were able to get so far was we had people across different parts of the world so they can try and access organizations in their region and try and get their buy-in for this research. So that also allowed us to have very rich perspectives from these organizations that are spread across the world. And not just spread across the world, they were also diverse in their functioning. So we were looking at IT industry, we were looking at some of these national level banks, obviously, then we were looking at some of the consulting organizations. So these are pretty much the kind of organizations we were also looking at. So all in all, the diversity within our research group enabled us to get a more diverse view in terms of the participants who got involved on this research. And to put this thing in perspective, we had 425 participants and these 425 participants cuts across more than 26 countries that we are looking at.
1: Thank you so much. One final piece of advice from each of you. What
0: would you say to the technologist in the team? First, there needs to be an acknowledgement that there is a problem because without that, then you're not seeing the differentiation. Everything is the same. You've got to be able to acknowledge that there's a problem. Now, how that gets introduced is a different story. But if you don't take that first step and say, like, if I'm drinking too much and nobody tells me, you, hey, you're drunk, you're falling over, if I don't admit it, I'll keep drinking. But if somebody says, hey, you're drinking too much, I say, gosh, he's right. I got to stop. So it's acknowledging that there is an opportunity for change and improvement. I think that's the first step
2: to add to that. The second thing that I'll talk about is it's very contextual. There's no one size fits all prescription that we have over here. So all the technologists who are listening to this podcast need to look within their organization, within their teams and try to make an effort to understand the people around them. Again, we acknowledge that all of us come with certain biases. Like when we deal with people, when we deal with the environment, we come with our biases and we are not telling people to get rid of their biases. That's not right. What we are asking people is embrace your biases, understand that you come with certain bias, but then make an effort to understand who are the people that are, that are part of the team or the people that you're working with. So it's very contextual. People need to understand their setting and then design how they want to take this forward. The good part about this research is, It is accessible to all and everyone can make a difference now. All you need to do is read this report, understand the elements, understand some of these recommendations, and then go back to your work setting organizations, understand the setup, then look for interventions and what needs to be changed.
0: And get involved.
1: And we'll make sure the link in the show notes includes how to access the report from the Business Agility Institute. Ignacio, Ashay, thank you very much for
0: taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Shane. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Ashay.
2: Thank you, Shane. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you and your audience. And yeah, thank you, Ignacio, for all your thoughts as well.